Brad, you recording? Yep. Danny, you recording? Um, let me double check. I'm recording. I've been recording for three and a half minutes. Beck, you recording? Yep. Vaughn, am I recording? <laughs> yeah, I'm recording. Oh, uh, right. yeah. See, we got content now. Now we got content. All right, so let's get started. So, as you guys know, the cold open is very important. Okay, Vaughn, go ahead and say something really funny right now. All right. So, let me tell you about work. <laughs> All right. I don't watch movies there. <laughs> Okay. So it's unrelated. Right. This is shit already. Okay. All right. I don't think you guys get this, but it's pretty important. I, I was doing research, and the three most important things for a podcast are the name, which... Yeah, we've been work stewing, in progress, so yeah. we at least know that it is... Hey, important. I really like Ohm, because we can use the Omega symbol, and y'all know how much I like those. You know you like yeah. Omega. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the name when we actually bring it up. Uh, well, the, uh, the other part are our hosts, which... We see how that went. Uh, and then our the cold <laughs> open. So no pressure. Uh, but say something funny back. Three, two, one, go. The Oh god. Alright. <laughs> That's about how I thought. That's about how I thought of it. Alright. Alright, wait, wait, wait. Now there's a Time out. Ezra's me, too. Yeah. <laughs> that was Ezra listening to this audio right now. Um Alright. Alright. I forgot the what cold we were open. starting. Three, with. two, one, go, Danny. We're not done with the cold open, Vaughn. Brad, you got you want to take a shot no, at this? Fuck, I, no, this is, no. I want the cold Dude, open. Don't throw to me tie in. in. This is the cold open. Was me throwing you guys under the bus? Brad, say something funny. Go. No thanks. All right, great. It's not great. a very good cold ten open. Ten out of ten. It's I'm not glad a great I quit my job. I'm glad I quit my job <laughs> to podcast full time. So same here. <laughs> well, Brad actually did. Oh no. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we only have, we have two people who are actually full time podcasters now. Yeah. yeah. okay so this is where the theme music will go or if we don't have any theme music uh i'll just record ezra singing i'll just record ezra singing happy birthday i just thought we put theme music in god all right all right okay so back from the theme song uh so Welcome everyone. This is usually. Uh, this oh. is uh, sorry. I <laughs> just get out. This is an overall. I was gonna say usually you introduce yourself and then the theme song happens. Yeah, um, our cold open cold was open. just you putting a lot of people on the spot and us shutting you down. I was entertained, and you were the only one. And the same will go for our listeners. And that's podcasting, baby. Listener, sorry. <laughs> Listen. My mom will like it. <laughs> oh, there's my little boy, Danny. <laughs> okay. So, this is Over Under Hype Machine. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm Beck. I'm Vaughn. I'm Brad. Uh, we're going to take a look at movies and uh, specifically looking at movies that are highly or lowly rated and try to take a look at whether they live up to their reputation that they're given. Our first movie here is going to be Citizen Kane, mostly because I thought it'd be really funny to title a podcast, Is Citizen Kane Overrated? Um, so I'm really glad I'm part of this podcast for the first episode because I know literally nothing about Citizen Kane. I know the ending. I know the twist ending, which is kind of my bit. <laughs> 
I only ever know twist endings like to movies, and that's why I don't watch them. I like that. That could be that's your thing is <laughs> you don't know anything about the movie, but you know how it ends, so it's pointless for you to watch it. Yes. Yeah. So I guess I should part for this by saying uh, another part of this uh, podcast is the fact that uh, Beck and I are kind of more casual film fans. We don't watch a whole lot of movies. Casual is understatement. Um, Vaughn and Brad are our designated nerds. I would say that Danny is a casual film fan and I am, oh God, please don't put on a movie. I prefer the term kinophile. Oh boy. Jesus, we're canceled already. <laughs> you know, file is just a Latin word for good. Fucking, Listen, you know. I wasn't making a joke on that. That was Danny. That was Brad, all what kind Danny. of file do you identify as? Uh, none. I, I guess I would just call myself more of just a, a movie fan. Um, in fact, enthusiastic to say the least. But I was going to say, how many movies have you watched this year? Um, this year, not that many. In 2020, um, I think it was over 400, 415, I think, somewhere in there. Jesus, you could not uh, pay me. So, that's, so more than Yet. one movie Yet. a day. Listen, to the listeners, if you pay me enough, I'll watch 400 movies. <laughs> You're hearing that, Mom? <laughs> you hearing that, Danny's Mom? <laughs> the only person listening to this right now. The or only ever. person listening to this. Uh, That's fair. <laughs> I can get my sisters to watch it, maybe. Yeah, she'll probably... No, she'll probably she might get this far. I can see her getting this far, maybe. Yeah, just about this far. Like, hey, she mentioned me, and then <laughs> cut. <laughs> That's how you get her in. Right. I enjoy how Brad identifies himself as a slightly enthusiastic film fan. He has watched more than one movie a day for the past year. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a uh, math works out to like one point one or one point two or something like that. But that's slightly enthusiastic film fan Brad for you. I I love the craft. What can <laughs> I say? Yeah, <laughs> the movie, the craft. <laughs> that's an okay movie. Well, I love that movie. Actually, that's a good movie. <laughs> I still have to see. The, they just released a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, then don't. the craft is what I was thinking of. And oh, don't! I thought it was good. Is it? Was it not good? Yeah, I thought so too. Oh. No, I it, definitely not as good as the original. I really I would probably say skip so, it. Citizen Kane. That is disappointing. Oh well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Citizen Kane is a movie. It is referred to as the first modern movie, yeah. if I remember correctly. Which is why I think it's funny to ask: Is it's overrated? Because it's like, what does that even mean? Like, how is that how is that even relevant when you're talking about what is the Bible of movies? <laughs> so should I um? Give a breakdown of what the movie's about and like yeah, who's yeah, directed by who stars in it. Yeah. All right. So, Citizen Kane, uh, directed by Orson Welles, starring Orson Welles, written by Orson Welles. Uh, All right. Uh, well, we'll get to it's that. Other people, yes. I, yeah. I understand it's multiple people, but I just I, I didn't know that. Yeah. The rule of three. Yeah, that was a good bit. Um, it was very funny. Good job. I'm proud Thanks, of you. Mike. My favorite part is the part where we rate every bit immediately afterwards. <laughs> Good bit, Danny. Uh, so, I don't know if I already said it, because it was released on September 5th, 1941, uh, as Google has in its verb section. When a reporter is assigned to decipher newspaper magnate Charles Foster Keynes, 
Orson Welles, dying words, his investigation gradually reveals the fascinating portrait of a complex man who rose from obscurity to staggering heights. Though Kane's friend and colleague Jebediah Leland, played by Joseph Cotton, and his mistress, Susan Alexander, played by Dorothy Comingor, shed fragments of light on Kane's life, the reporter fears he may never penetrate the mystery of the elusive man's final word. Rosebud. Wow, I fell asleep already. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, even the <laughs> yeah. fucking description uh, is long. So, so I, I think that's good. I don't want any more details of that for now. Really makes me amped yeah, so, so to that watch was the movie. Probably should this earlier. What we're going to be doing is uh, doing a kind of pre-watch discussion. So we're going to go over kind of our familiarity with the movie. Uh, some of us have seen it, some of us have it, and we're going to kind of... And some of us know the twist ending... <laughs> And nothing else. <laughs> Someone has heard of the twist ending and nothing else. Uh, we're going to kind of go over our impressions based on, because again, we're supposed to be looking at this uh, based on the popular consensus of this of, of these films. So what have we heard? What do you know about this movie? Is it uh, it's supposed to be amazing? Are there weird things you've heard about it? And kind of talking about our general impressions before even seeing the movie or maybe even seeing it recently if you've seen it before. Um. Well, I haven't seen it since like 2012 when I had to watch it for film appreciation. Uh, but I mean, I remember just like <laughs> finding it boring and like overhyped. That's all right. That's the show. <laughs> there we go. That's. The... <laughs> but like, I understand why. Like, like from what I remember, like I understand why it gets the hype it does because it is like it is like one of the first movies that implement modern day film techniques when those were like very like movies were very static or very unoriginal in that like format mm -hmm. also i was excited about it because orson welles voice is my favorite transformer (laughs) ever so totally down unicron baby for the transformers to show up the whole time uh (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like, God, this is fucking boring. Where's Optimus Prime? Orson Welles as whatever he just said that Transformers name was, Ultron or something. Okay. Uh, Unicron. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the only reason why he joined the podcast. So you just yeah, bring my Transformers right. lore in? Yeah, I think, I think this is going to end up... I, I think this movie is going to be like... I'm thinking about like how... It, was when I first read Beowulf in high school, where it's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, you see, now you're in my part. Yeah, so. now we're like, I read that book and I was like, oh god, this is so boring. And it's not that it's bad; it's just that it's a story you've heard a thousand times. It's the story that, like, it's the baseline to what everything else is built off of, and so everything else has branched off of it and improved upon it. So going back and watching the original can feel kind of lackluster, a bit anticlimactic, because it's not the climax, yeah. it's yeah, the beginning. I think it's the journey it's, of how we like, got there. Yeah. It's the Citizen Kane's we made along the way. It's <laughs> I think it's it, one thing I know I remember about Good Danny. is the whole time I had to like stop myself from thinking, oh god, this is so cliche. And it's which is see, it's yeah. a weird thing to think about, like, yeah, well, yeah, I guess it's cliche, but, like, it wasn't when it did it. I made an essay, <laughs> like, I wrote an essay based upon that fact, and my, my professor. 
short circuited. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's kind of fair because it again, like the whole premise of is Citizen Kane overrated? It's like, what the fuck does that? What's that? Like same thing with Bay. Like, is it overrated? Like, yeah, sure, but like, that's not the point. You don't you don't yeah. watch it in film history because it's a good movie. You watch it because it was the first one. And you know, it could be a good movie. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that was. All I know is about the sled. <laughs> that was the other thing I was going to say is I actually think I will uh, enjoy this. I, I kind of expect to enjoy it. I will say that I'm a pretentious piece yeah, of shit. and I feel like that's exactly who this is So for. I probably will like that's it. Why, that's why Brad likes it so much. Fair. <laughs> we throw on the bus. Uh, I will say that I will probably enjoy it because my taste is when refined. Did you, well, how old were you when you last watched it? I was like 16, 17. Yeah, so... I don't imagine a 16, 17-year-old enjoying Citizen Kane. But I feel like we all will. So, Brad, what are, what, what are your thoughts? So, Brad. So, yeah, I think I'm the only one of us who has seen Citizen Kane mm-hmm. recently. I watched it a couple months ago um, in preparation for the David Fincher film Mank to be released on Netflix. Um, yeah. I'd like to think of myself as someone who's seen like a lot of classic movies, but for whatever reason, i just never seen Citizen Kane. Um, and once Mank was announced with David Fincher directing, I figured that this was as good a time as any to, mm-hmm. to jump in. Um, for those who don't know, uh, can you, can you explain why, uh, Citizen Kane has significance to Mank? Sure. So the movie Mank is telling the story of Herman J. Mankiewicz who was a screenwriter, a contemporary of Orson Welles, who wrote at least part of the screenplay for Citizen Kane. Um, And the thing that's significant about, the thing that I really like about Mank is that it was written by David Fincher's father, Jack Fincher, um, and explores the kind of the authorship question of Citizen Kane, which is one of the topics a hotly debated topic um, in American film criticism and has been since its release. Obviously, you know, the most famous text on the authorship question is Raising Kane, the essay by Pauline Kael, which we'll be discussing in the later half of the episode um, because I have thoughts. <laughs> and yeah, so I think that you guys, I'm, I'm spoiler alert, fully going to come down on the side of this movie's not under, I think it's not fair, overrated. Probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's as as good as everyone says, just because one of how revolutionary it was, um, with its camera work, cinematography, the editing. I mean, you look down like, you know, the below the line people on this thing is insane. Like uh, Bernard Herrmann, who was one of the famous composers of that era. Greg Toland uh, does the cinematography. Robert Wise uh, was the editor on the film and. Both Greg Tolan and Robert Wise was going to become like celebrated directors in their own right. Orson Welles made this when he was Holy 23 shit. years old. Jesus. Oh God, what are we doing? 23. This. He produced, directed, and started Man, it. Do you guys think this will be the Citizen Kane of podcasts? God, I hope not. He was not. the original Tommy Wiseau. Right, are we going to ruin podcasts by this being the Citizen Kane of podcasts? <laughs> I don't know whether I Maybe. hope so or if I really hope not. But, yeah, the thing that I definitely want to emphasize about Citizen Kane to you guys before you've watched it um, 
is just how... I know one of the main complaints for watching movies from this era, you know, um, black and white, 40s, 50s, is that they're slow. And this movie really isn't. Um, the script is so tight, and it moves from scene to scene so... Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's quickly. Not time. But, right. And, it, you know, the pacing is a lot more akin to modern films than it is, I think, to its yeah, contemporary. Yeah, so 2001. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, no. The, this, gonna... <laughs> it's the tortoise <laughs> and the hare with 2001 in uh, this movie. Guy slowly moving forward for half an hour. <laughs> uh, fortunately, no. But it's it's beautiful to look at. Greg Tolan's cinematography and the way that he uses shadow is just, it's great to look at. The film moves, and I think it's aged great. Obviously, there's some, you know, mm-hmm. artifacts of the time period. Uh, for one thing, this is about a newspaper magnet, What's that? which we no longer have. <laughs> but <laughs> but overall, I think it, watchability still there. So I'm I'm really excited for yeah, you to really check this out. I, I think I want to, uh, assuming yeah. I don't hate it, which I I really, really be surprised if I do. I probably will also try to watch that make. Because uh, that sounds really interesting as well. Agreed. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mank was great as well. I I really like it. So I will say I've been shit talking movies this entire time and making myself out to hate movies. I do genuinely like movies yeah. and like art house movies, say. especially other, and historical movies, especially. The other day you spent the night. I just and don't watch. I a came lot downstairs and you were sitting in the exact spot that you were when I went upstairs. Uh, and you just looked at me with dead eyes and said, "I watched four hour art house movies tonight." So, yeah, <laughs> I know you. I know there's a film fan in there. And honestly, like two of them were good. <laughs> well, that's that's how yeah. that's that's our house movies. Four, and not that. We're gonna find that out when we that's when we true. do the lighthouse. Uh... I gotta tell you, um, I don't remember most of it. I mean, yeah, you're, you you should have been sleeping. So, uh, but yeah, I don't. Well, I don't know if we have anything else to add. I think now, unless anyone else has any other last minute thoughts, now might be a good time to cut to a a post-movie discussion, post-watch discussion. Yeah, well, we probably need to watch the movie before we do post-watch discussion. Well, yes, that's... Takes back. No, let have to be beamed into our brains now. (laughs) That was good, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so after a brief intermission After a brief intermission We will be back And we'll have some Preferably Already lukewarm takes on the movie Citizen Kane I'm sure God, I'm always lukewarm, I'm ready (laughs) Alright, this is where the ads go Yes Hell yeah, we're gonna have so many ads Before I forget uh, I would like to after we like talk about the movie, I would like to do a trivia section. I would okay. just like to talk about like some interesting trivia. Okay, yeah, that sounds the fun. Movie. I like that. Like, uh, there's actually I'm looking at like I was looking at this uh, list of trivia, and there's actually one that stuck out to me the most because I like most people uh, learned about Orson Welles through War of the Worlds, and there's actually a line where it's like or uh, he uh, says to somebody while winking, don't trust everything you hear on the radio. Hmm. Which is fucking phenomenal if that's like 
a reference to. I think this is a good. Can we get an actual like year standpoint? I mean, Orson Welles wasn't exactly the most um, uh, (laughs) modest. It was nineteen, especially because people still make that reference. Yeah, I mean, he knew how good he was. I'll say that. (laughs) So, but that's funny. I didn't even pick up on that when I uh, watched it recently. Uh, that was 1938 that uh, Orson Welles did that, so, like, 30 years before Kane. Because I've heard that, you know, don't trust everything you hear on TV, don't trust everything that you hear on the internet. I've heard it in that exact, like, you know, tone. Right. My entire life, and everybody has. And, um, I don't even think that everybody realizes that they're referencing that. You know, I just, I just really, I think that is like, if again, there's like something that goes to show, like it, it, it created a trope, like that is, yeah. if that is literally him, like writing about like how I fucking got him with War of the Worlds, <laughs> like that is like the best, like wink, <laughs> like such a smug bastard. Post watch discussion just be listing all the tropes he invented. <laughs> uh, that's what half the trivia section is. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> oh my god. It's like, they did this, they did this for the first time, and this for the first time, and this for the first time. <laughs> and that's the thing that I'm actually, like, really interested in um, with the podcast is what part of these movies are just consciousness, like, just social consciousness at this point. Like, everybody knows this reference. Everybody can, oh, this character is dying, so let's have him say Rosebud. Even though we're in Madagascar, like. Well, I I think that Citizen Kane especially is one of those movies that kind of exists in the public consciousness as being like a capital G great movie. Yeah. And like people are like, oh, Citizen Kane, never seen it, good movie, but like. (laughs) Yeah. Right, and you know, there's actually, especially nowadays, comparatively little talk of like the actual content of the movie, other Mm -hmm. than. It's good. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is really unfortunate because I think there's a lot as, you know, I hope you guys will see there's a lot yeah, to dig into movies. here. Hell yeah. Especially regarding like the context, uh, you know, I'll actually sure take notes. And like all all the other players in the Citizen Kane story. So, I'm excited to dig into truth. that. I, I really I don't want to say too much more until, you know, you yeah. guys have seen it. I'll, I'll bring this up when we start recording this uh like the trivia with that. But so uh Citizen Kane is based off of a real person. William Randolph Hearst. Well, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> so it's actually ba- it, primarily based on William Randolph Hearst, and also Orson Welles was from Kenosha, Wisconsin. So a lot of, um, you know, the the mannerisms of Kane is based on Hearst, uh, I believe Joseph Pulitzer as well, and then also some local Chicago, like, uh, Titans of industry, as it were, at the time. So well, guess, he's kind of a kind of well, a boy. Really, I, I specifically say Hearst is because uh, Hearst actually tried uh, getting the movie to never uh, air. Like he 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 did his best <laughs> to like get Orson Welles to never release the film, even so much as in the forties and fifties calling Orson Welles a communist. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so is this? movie is it like pro-capitalist citizen kane or is it 
Is it is it a bit commie? Is it a bit Because I don't know if that. If it's not a bit commie, I'm not interested. <laughs> That's true. You know, I, I I would definitely say it's satirical, the political system. All right. Um, but I don't know if it's like... It's, it's certainly not a leftist <laughs> film. I mean... It, leftist films yeah. in my 40s? <laughs> it's right. So I mean, you can go to the Soviet likely. Union and, you know, next, dig some of that up. Next episode is going to be uh, the Citizen Kane of Soviet Russia. Yeah, my four-hour solo Battleship Potemkin <laughs> pod. I'm ready. I'm ready to talk. Um, but yeah, I I would say that there's... Uh, I Like I said, I really don't want to get too into it until you guys see it. Mm-hmm. But you can make an argument that there is kind of like a... Like a critique. More of a left-leaning interpretation. Okay. But there's also like an uh, maybe like an objectivist interpretation too. Mm-hmm. Um it's kind of like, yeah. I don't expect it to be extremely left, yeah. but, like, is it critiquing this magnate, or is it, you know, yes. supporting him? No. It, it, uh, <laughs> we'll save it, we'll save it, we'll save it. I just don't really imagine it as, like, a super political film, but based off... My no, yeah, like it's I really like not. It just kind of, yeah, which I feel yeah. like it kind of, at least to an extent, has to be when you're working with that main character. But of course, I don't know. You know, I don't know the story. Yeah, I, I would say that the the political aspects of the story are kind of on the. They're important, but they're more on the periphery to the steady of Kane, rather than being kind of like the main impetus of the plot so they're in there but it's definitely not the focus i would say and i guess we'll find out after this ad break we already cut to ad break a while ago hi i'm vaughn podcast startup sensation today i'd like to let you know about a new podcast i'm starting with my good friend can i introduce you now yes you can I'll be partnering with shia labeouf to review a wonderfully directed series but before i get to no what are you waiting for fine We're going to review the Transformer saga. Look, Shia, if you're going to keep being angry with me all the time, I don't know if I can do this. We've already had to restart this five times. If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. I'm not giving up. Look, let's just do this tomorrow. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. I know, but looking, working with you is damn near impossible sometimes. Nothing is impossible! Why do you want to do this podcast? Some people dream of success. All right. Can we take five, guys? I need some water. Welcome back uh, from that. Uh, we have now watched Citizen Kane. It's yeah, great. it only took us like a few, uh, however long that break was. Minutes! It took a, it took a few minutes to watch Citizen yeah. Kane. <laughs> I got the spark notes. It was I got downloaded the, I got uh, into our brains. Yeah. If only movies were that simple. I would probably like them if they were that simple. <laughs> I, got the, I got the idea. Black and white guy, a big guy, uh, kind of a big, big shot. <laughs> big say. guy, big, big shot. guy for you. <laughs> for you. <laughs> That'll uh, be a reference to the conversation we had before we started recording. <laughs> for you hey, kids at home. My mom, my mom will think. Hey, I'll I'm a Bane poster. People will know. <laughs> All right. So, but yeah. Um. I mean, I'm going to say it out of the way, like, I 
as a joke said like Susan Kane was overrated because watching it once in high school I was like eh, this movie's black and white and boring yeah. and now like watching it like actually as a film watcher I'm like holy shit this movie is amazing yeah it was astounding one of my big things is like I'm, I'm gonna be that guy like a lot of old movies I find to be boring yeah. not because like oh they're old and black and white so that must make them boring it's just like they just the way they're handled are very static in my opinion yeah and they tend yeah, to be slow paced and Susan Kane, while was like not dynamic and like people doing actually things just like the story and the dialogue was just so tight and entertaining that like fuck I was entertained yeah. the whole way yeah absolutely it was also monkey monkey first thing I see is Same. monkey okay. You know, I went back over my notes and saw that my first note was monkey, and I crossed that out because I thought it was irrelevant, and that I didn't actually want to say it on the podcast, so I'm glad that you, you brought it up instead, Vaughn. It's the first thing It's the first thing I wrote down, so I was going to say it. And we have now spent far too long talking about it, so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I think it was surprising how modern the movie feels. Like, it really is, like... Like I said, I was expecting it to, while be good still, like, feel very old and probably slow and something I wouldn't want to watch. But, like, it really is, uh, feels very modern. A lot of things in it seem impressive. And then there were some, something I want to talk about eventually is, uh, how the, uh, things actually seem even better than modern movies, I think, with, like, the way they talk. And yeah, because yeah. they still the had the that like fast paced, you know, snappy, clever yeah. dialogue that they used to have there. Yeah, their dialogue, the people talking over each other mm-hmm. felt very like it was weird to see because that's not something you ever see. Like it wasn't everyone's quiet while you're talking. It was like people talking like real people. Yeah. Like, and that's like people, especially at like people at a workplace would be talking where it's like everyone saying their own thing and pick up bits and pieces and i'd say that's generally how like old movies worked yeah so i i think it's it it felt things felt really authentic in a way that you don't see in even modern Mm -hmm. movies which was really interesting i I would also say that it's also the dialogue was a lot more produced whilst having the you know a, a more authentic conversation mm-hmm. style while ha- still having you know a produced way of of you know their dialogue being well that's actually it's funny to say that because a lot of the actors this was, this was their first filmed uh debut but a lot of them were actually professional stage actors mm-hmm. so they would know how to do like produced yeah. dialogue which i thought was really cool i wonder if like i'm interpreting that also like they do talk like how you expect yearly for these people to talk. And that's, that's, that's just how conversations work. It's, yeah, it's but not. like that's like it definitely it sounds the, the way they speak is different from what it is today. And I don't know if that's even if that part is authentic. Maybe that part I'm just kind of reading as oh yeah that seems right because that's how people in the forties probably sounded. <laughs> that's how like, they talked in movies. Well, let's just get in our time machine. Yeah, or maybe yeah, or that might just be how they talked in movies, and that like that's our. In- our, uh, I've seen like outtakes. How we think they talk, and... you know, from from uh, those days, and um, when they break character, it's weird how how much they are like us. 
I love like 40s and 50s like black and white movie era yeah outtakes because it's like almost like taboo forbidden stuff <laughs> it's like the footage you weren't meant we to aren't see we are supposed to know that they're like, people look at these stoic actors who are like role models like acting like the everyday dick and jane it's so mm-hmm. cool have you guys ever seen the uh it's an outtake from an Alfred Hitchcock movie. I It might be Strangers on a Train. I don't remember which one. Um, but Alfred Hitchcock makes a That's What She Said joke. <laughs> it's it's quite funny. Amazing. amazing. That's awesome. uh, history. Uh, okay. So I wanted to we say, should get back to the movie. Before I forget. <laughs> so we're all talking about how great this movie is. You know who also really loved this movie? The Vatican. Huh. It is in their top 45 movies of all time. I wonder why. But on the inverse, you know who hated this movie? The nineteen uh, the nineteen forty one Academy Awards. It got nine nominations, and at each nomination, it got booed. Oh my god! It got booed. <laughs> it got booed at every Jesus. instance it was referenced. Holy shit! Uh that's that's surprising. That's. <laughs> See, I was wondering, because I, so I was looking up, uh, doing some research, too, and from what I can tell, it seemed like most critics thought very well of the movie and kind of tell it was pretty um, amazing for its time, other than the people who were too scared of uh, William Randolph mm. Hearst. Yes. Who the movie is based on. Partly. Of, partly. The real-life version, yeah, the, partly, but seems to be like the, the, the main inspiration for uh, Charles Kane. Yes. Um, um, actually, funny you bring up Hearst. So on the night, mm-hmm. the very night of the release, uh, Orson Welles <laughs> and Hearst yeah. happened to be in the same elevator. Oh, no! And uh, her- Welles' father was a friend of Hearst. <laughs> or a friend of Hearst's father. They had connections to their parents. And Orson Welles, as a sign of good faith, offered two tickets to Randolph Hearst, saying, hey... I understand there's bad blood. You're trying to not get my movie out, but would you like to see it? And as the elevator opened, apparently he scoffed and walked off declining it. And Orson Welles said after him, Charles Foster Kane would have accepted. Oh my God. (laughs) What a nerd. I was like, (laughs) what a like, like, yeah, my fictional idealization of you would have. Yeah, I, just imagine somebody saying that about their character now. We would be like, wow. What a fucking nerd. And not just a nerd, but, like, an egotistical nerd. But he pulls it off. Yes, but, I mean, the thing is, it's a good fucking dig. Yeah, no, I I love it. Hearst is trying to ruin Orson Welles' life. Like, this movie almost failed because because he just didn't want it to be Actually, there's a rumor that... It kind of did. There's a story that never got proved to be true that uh, to scandalize Welles... Uh, Hearst hired a woman and a photographer to hide in his hotel room. The woman would jump on Wells naked and through the open door, and a photographer would take pictures of him. Yeah, but, I was reading that too. It wasn't just a woman; it was like a fourteen. Oh my god! Oh, oh I didn't oh, hear that part. Wow, I didn't read yeah, that part. And also, and also to be fair, Wells said, apparently said that this was some reporter who did that, hoping that if he if he pulled it off, it would help him move up in Hearst. Uh, like company in, in the uh, newspaper. Yeah. So, it, it, which seems believable. Maybe that that seems what weird that Hearst would actually go that far to uh, 
something that, not a great scheme. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I feel like if somebody was threw themselves at me, I wouldn't look like I was caught up in a scandal. I would be horrified. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. But all you need is one picture of uh, Wells in a hotel room, naked fourteen-year-old, and he's literally going to jail. That was the that was the point. Was oh, to try shit. to send him to jail. Yeah, this is the same guy who like told people like, "Hey, Orson Wells is a communist." In 1940. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. But so, something else I thought was interesting is that a company uh, tried to buy the movie from RKO Pictures, uh, tried to give them 800 grand to destroy all the film and burn the next. Holy shit. Yes. Which I think is just really interesting. Cause just imagine, imagine if they took that deal. Like, what would films look like today? Would they even be anywhere near the same? Danny, did you find an explanation as to why they wanted to do that? I'm just curious. Uh, I, I it was it was one of it was a company owned by Hearst. Ah, okay. Because I, I read I'm that. I'm surprised too. that they haven't ever made a movie off of this. Because there was Mank that was about like writing it, but did they touch on any of this drama? No, Mank does not. Mank is pretty pretty much solely concerned with um, the writing process for the uh, the script. In the research I was doing, I think I saw that there was some Netflix show that like went into the drama of uh, Citizen Kane. Let me see if I can. That alone it. sounds like a good watch. Uh, you're thinking of Mank too. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Tom Holland plays uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz. <laughs> I'm just finding Mank, though. That's all I'm finding yeah. when I tried to look it up. So maybe, maybe I, I thought I read something here in the uh, in the Wikipedia article. I will say one of my favorite parts about the movie was how well the the makeup department did on uh, oldifying Wells. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I didn't like, even think crap. that... I thought that they had gotten a different actor until you said, you know, wow, those prosthetics, and I was like... Those are prosthetics? It's amazing. It's like, holy shit. Like, I did not know makeup was that, like, good back then. Absolutely. Now that we're, now that we're about 15 minutes into this, maybe we should go over, like, an actual, like, kind of synopsis of the movie and well, kind of go from I there. I feel like, has your mom watched uh, Citizen there's... Kane? <laughs> My mom's definitely watched it. We don't need it. Yeah, she, she, it. she, if this, if our sole audience is your mother, she knows what the movie's mm. about. That's true. My mom knows. But we should remind her. Uh, I, right. and in fact, after when I told her about it, she's pretty excited. She wants to be on the podcast. I definitely want her on, uh, but then we won't have anyone to listen to it. But maybe mm. she likes the sound of her own voice. Yeah, maybe she'll mm-hmm. still listen to it. Though. I'll, I'll have her on under the agreement that she will still listen to it. So Make sure to get it in writing. Okay, um, I mean, I so can, can retain our audience. Yeah, I could always just play it for my dogs while like I'm in the other room doing something. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, can make yeah. my mom listen. Make sure, to it yeah, you wouldn't dare listen to it yourself. Uh, but um, I was just kind of gonna cre- give a creep, uh, quick like word on just like this movie is kind of just about a guy, a man who's like bigger than life. Uh, Charles Foster Kane. Sometimes quite literally. Literally one of the biggest guys on set. <laughs> Big, yeah, huge, a huge man, bigger than life, literally and figuratively. Bond thought he was uh, on stilts, owns, and then he started uh, walking, and his knees were in the right place. He's so tall. <laughs> yeah, that was that was like mind blowing. Like, oh my god, this is just pure camera working. That like camera working. This guy is really just and a very tall man. <laughs> well, actually, uh, 
I know you're trying to do synopsis. It's funny. He actually learned this technique from watching Stagecoach. That he had actually like mastered the technique because he watched it forty times during the production of Citizen Kane. Goddamn Stagecoach. Yeah, because yeah, Stagecoach to make the the heroes more powerful than everyone else is they would record them from below and everyone else they record from above to make them look smaller. Yeah, that's like what As, they did uh, with. Um... Lord of the Rings. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, the only two people in this movie where the camera is face up is well is uh, Kane and his friend. Everyone else, the camera is aimed down at because they are weaker than these two people. Hmm. Interesting. Great little fact. But yeah, Charles Foster Kane is a, a enigmatic person. He has Xanadu, the largest property of land in New York, housing almost two of well, every uh, known animal. Florida. With the Florida? Yeah. New York. Well, because remember this... Oh, hold on. We're going a little Tarantino. We're going out of order. Um, But the scene at the end when um, they go camping in, like, the Everglades or whatever. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's not important. But please continue. I'm sorry. No, my my bad. I'm, I'm... I didn't write down where the location was. I was going off the top of my head. Honestly, I don't think that the location is even all that important, if not for it the isn't. absurdity of the set. Yeah, it's like, I think they said 154 acres or some shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's important that we really nailed down where this where it was. <laughs> I just really love the line, uh, biggest private zoo since Noah. <laughs> Let's just vote on it. New York, Florida? Guys, we're vote. never going to get uh, New York. synopsis. It, it, it's more... It's much more absurd. It's much more absurd to be up north. That's true. I have a castle in the middle of New York. Exactly. I like that. That, that sounds like something a rich asshole would do. Mm-hmm. It was definitely in Florida, in but he spent most ass- of his, like, before he built it in New York. Yeah. Let's talk about that fucking fireplace, though. Am I right? You are right. <laughs> God. All right okay, somebody actually do a synopsis. <laughs> Alright, so yeah, um, Charles Foster Kane uh, was adopted by, I didn't write his fucking name down, uh, was adopted and raised uh, by a very wealthy man, and once he was an adult, he was given all these options of wealthy businesses, but he turned them all down except for a small newspaper company. Because he thought running a newspaper yeah. would be fun. And yes, he had no idea what to do. He just wanted to run a newspaper company. Love and that. also, he made up most of it. Yeah, yeah, where he was turned into a giant yellow journalist just making up things, literally fabricating a war with it was Spain. Cuba. To quote, quote the movie, you give me the prose, I'll give you yeah. the war. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the, the, the understanding there is that he wanted the newspaper company basically just to yeah. fuck with Thatcher, the, the man who's, that was who the adopted him. Was a Thatcher, that's the name. Basically just to run it however he wanted and uh, uh, make up whatever headlines he wanted and the entire time just pissing off Thatcher with every headline and uh, just living and stewing in it. Kind of just like a petty teenager, basically. But which, with, which makes sense because like, he was right out of college. Yeah, right yeah, out which of I think several colleges. Uh, but, you know, with just this giant uh, newspaper. Which reminds me, Orson Welles, king of the shit-eating grin. Ugh. Yes, that's true. But through this yellow journalism, he was then able to kind of build up this empire where he's 
basically controls media throughout the United States, controls all all the newspapers. It comes up with these principles that are like, I won't be a shitty person, and here are my vows. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert, guess what happens? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These vows that he uh, gives to his best friend. It's funny. Eventually sends it back to spit in his face. He then literally yeah. tears up. The thing is, is that he starts off with these principles, but he starts off with these principles when he's already a yellow journalist, as you said. He's already lying. That, that part what are was, these principles that he's saying? Working for the common man. Yeah, like that's the thing. Is that like, is he ever <laughs> working for the common man? And indeed, does he ever? really stop like the thing that makes him send the principles back to him is that he starts you know touting his wife and saying what a good singer she was and lying about it but mm-hmm. what's the difference it's a spoiler, she isn't. <laughs> but yeah uh, through through this movie we want we learn of well really we, what we're doing is following these reporters after charles kane's death as they're trying to get to the bottom of his final words, Rosebud, and what these words mean. Another uh, uh, interesting fact. trying to hunt down... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, 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 I'm saving my interesting facts so I can, like, weed him into the synopsis. In the beginning of the movie, when they're, like, doing the newsreel, and it shows the dark room of all the reporters talking about, like, who's gonna go investigate Rosebud, that is the entire male cast. Hmm. And Orson oh, Welles crazy. included. Oh. That's why they don't show anyone's faces. That is really interesting. That's interesting. But uh, they're trying to hunt down the meaning of Rosebud. Uh, basically, it sounds like just to kind of get a really good story. And what I think is interesting is, meanwhile, they're telling, while they're hunting down, uh, trying to figure out what Rosebud means, they end up uncovering this whole story of this man's life, this man who's larger than life, uh, learning so many things about him from uh, all the people closest to him. Um, and the whole time, as they're telling what, what basically is the movie Citizen Kane, uh, they're just uninterested because all they really care about is figuring out what Rosebud means, uh, which eventually leads them to this futile effort where they get to the end of the movie and still have no yeah, idea Yeah, they what let the, the audience in on that fact, but they the reporters never find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, and they seemingly don't care about uh, all the other yeah. interesting things that they find, which I think is really, really funny. I, I love it. Like, really... oh, so you're saying he was obsessed with politics and uh, married this woman out of spite, basically? Uh, no, but, <laughs> but what about the Rosebud? <laughs> Rosebud. And I think it's so funny because, like, what ends up being Citizen Kane, the greatest, one of the greatest movies ever made, uh, and the, the whole movie is based around these reporters hearing basically hearing this story firsthand and not giving a shit because they want to know <laughs> which i mean we get to know but i don't think that's what there makes- is something to be said about that uh did you know that uh it's funny uh actually growing after like the movie came out orson Welles ended up hating that twist really he called <laughs> he called it quote dollar store freud <laughs> i can kind of see it because it is very kind of like feels very tacked on at the end yeah um, I think it would be better if I never found out. There was an interesting thing about the snow globe that he drops in his dying breath. And he he actually Mm -hmm. finds it in the scene where he's destroying his wife's room after she left. And it's kind of like, 
how why yes. why do you yeah. have this in your final moment if your final thoughts and your final words have nothing to do with her why why is this I have an idea. tied to her I have an idea. And I, is it is it just the snow? It's, the snow it's, tied to the sled to the because the last final time he because spoiler alert Rosebud's his sled. Uh, the last scene you see him with his sled is him playing within the snow. But also, yeah. my other idea is since that was her snow globe, and she was younger than him, he saw her as youthful. And since the movie's about him trying to recapture his fleeting youth. Mm-hmm. Is shoehorn that like be like that snow globe represent her representing youth? I don't. I don't really yeah, buy I it. See that. But I think it's I, much more the much more the. I remember being in a snowy hill with my rosebud. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying, I think I, I feel like it is also just snow. Like it's that simple. Uh, like kind of just reminds him of again because like he's saying one what the one part before he met his second wife he was going to try to reclaim his youth, try to find his old things that his mother left behind to try to reclaim part of his youth. Um, But I I just want to kind of finish up with just like, we're kind of watching this whole movie and we learn this story of this man who, again, at the beginning, seemingly claims to have principles at least, uh, and watching kind of his downfall as he rises, becoming bigger and bigger and more of an important potential, more of an important figure throughout politics and history. Um, and meanwhile, as he becomes bigger and more powerful, you see him degrade, and uh, which is, I think, kind of a story of all this time of this of him just becoming a lesser man as he rises in power uh, until the point where he straight up tears up his own principles, uh, completely abandoning them, and, and it tears up uh, his ex-wife's bedroom. Yeah, it tears up his ex. Yeah, locks locks himself and his wife away. From the world, uh, just hoarding in his castle of riches, as if that makes him happy. Um, just desperately doing whatever he can to try to reclaim any sense of happiness. And then at the end, you find Ro- Rosebud hints to his his childhood and hints to the scene where we see his last moment of happiness when he's just an innocent child. I would really like to say the final scene of the movie before the Rosebud reveal of just like. The zoom out of like his whole mm-hmm. warehouse worth of shit Incredible. that's all practical. That was mind blowing. Like, holy crap. The amount of time setting this scene up. Speaking mm-hmm. of scenes, uh, I, we talked about like how if they remade this movie, we'd want, I, I, at least I would want Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. In the, speaking of similar things, in the scene where he's tearing up his wife's room out of anger. He actually gashes his hand open during that take. Oh, much like a scene <laughs> a where Leonardo DiCaprio also gashed <laughs> his hand open. That's true. Uh, that's a good point. But I think I, that's a good trend just because that's something I want to talk about is how, like, like you said, when you after you brought that up, I'm like, oh, I do kind of want a modern remake of this movie. But then we just but, saw uh, it's as much as people will hate that. But yeah, exactly. It's literally just Wolf. And I was, and I was, and that's what some of the research I was doing before we started talking is like, I'm like, I'm sure I'm not the first one to make this comparison because, and, and looking it up, I see I found a few articles actually, not as many as I thought, but a few articles kind of pointing out the comparisons between the two movies. It really is the story of uh, a man who seemingly starts with principles and ethics, and as he and uses fraudulent powerful, means 
Yeah, even though he starts with ethics, doesn't really care about the fraud he's committing, uh, and just becomes more and more powerful. You watch him get bigger than life. It, it, I watched a video that kind of compared the two scenes, um, compared the scene from Citizen Kane where he's at like that dinner party with all his workers, and they have like the circuit, the like oh the, like, versus the I'm dancing. not going versus well yeah the the yeah the scene in uh, Wolf of Wall Street where they have literally like a circus, uh, a marching band come in, uh, lines of strippers and everything, all the dancing. And I think it really is just a more modern version of Citizen Kane, where Citizen Kane, you have him, like, the, the scandalous thing, you know, he gets up there and dances with all the uh, other dancers, and Wolf of Wall Street is much bigger and ridiculous, but really and Jonah Hill would be his version. best friend. Yeah, yeah, as he should be. Yeah. I've actually never seen um, it. But, like, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I think watching Citizen Kane made me with how authentic and modern it felt, that's kind of what I was like. I really want an update of this, but that literally is just Wolf of Wall Street. So I don't think I'm wrong in saying that because Wolf of Wall Street is a great movie. Yeah, that's great movie. Just the update of just the modern version of this. But Danny, <laughs> is Wolf of Wall Street overrated? We'll get to it. We'll get to that, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> can't, don't spoil it. Brad, is Sissy Kane overrated? Well, I think that I'm going to stick with my previous position from the first half of the podcast and say, no, it is not overrated. It is rightful in its place among the pantheon of greatest movies ever made. I think that, you know, now that I, I, on my rewatch for the pod, um, it's so apparent how once you kind of dig a little bit deeper into the movie and notice all the little technical flair um, and craft that goes into it. Like, I remember when we were all watching it together, and it's, I believe, the first scene after the journalist leaves his office to go to the library, and the librarian opens oh, up that huge door, that. and the sunlight is shining through that window. And what. One of you went, oh my god. I think that all three yeah. of us did. <laughs> yeah. I think because it was me. Because, it, yeah, I, because it's just so artfully lit and uh, the cinematography is so strong and inventive. Um, the th- and the, then. The, 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 direct, the, film, the director of film, the cinematographer, actually asked Orson Welles to let him be, like, the guy for the movie. Yeah, Greg Toland, who he's yep. a character in itself, and if I remember correctly, he would go on to direct movies too. Um, actually, I have two. Uh, we'll call them Toland tidbits, <laughs> two little Toland anecdotes. Um, so basically, one was that his trademark style of using strong contrast between like shadows and light was actually a result of him being on a film set. Or on a shoot, rather, and one of his bulbs burning out on one of his uh, lighting rigs, and he liked the way that it looked, and decided to like kind of work with that and see what he could um, do with that sort of restriction. Which is, you know, you see a lot of that in Citizen Kane, and especially like that. And he pulls a lot from German expressionist films, like uh, Fritz Lang, um, you know, particular. The way that this film is shot, the cinematography and stuff, reminds me of M. Which, if you guys ever want to cover another black and white movie, I think M would be a good pick. Um, Noted. And 
the old the other Tolan tid is um <laughs> that he was apparently incredibly depressed Sick, and bro. would drink heavily anytime he wasn't working on a film set. He, he and then he'd publicly stop stated while multiple working? times they were the only place that he was happy. Shit. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page and he does look incredibly depressed. I will give. And yes, he did direct some movies: uh, uh, *Withering Heights*, *Westerner*, *The Outlaw*, *Ball of Fire*, *Song of the South*, *The Bishop's Wife*. Oof. Uh, Song of I was the about South. to say, like, yeah, yeah. I, was say, I think I'd like to see a bunch, like, a few of his films. And *Withering Heights*, I've I've read, so I might look into more of his films. But then, oof. Song of the South. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say like that's something else I have in my notes is the All transitions right. are just insane. Yeah. Transitions are so impressive. All right, here's here's another. One. Oh yeah, like the slow the slow fade. So it looks like mm-hmm. what's happening in the next scene, like in the background. That was mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. But like, guys, is Song of the South underrated? Right. We'll never know because it'll nope, never come out of that. Disney Vault. <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah, that that's a yeah. Thanks for that. Brad, that's really interesting yeah. learning about this uh, uh, Greg Toland. Mm. And yeah, his, his work is definitely super impressive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it really the, is. The other, two pe- the other two people that I want to shout out um, that were below the line on this were um, Robert Wise, who is the editor. Um, if I remember correctly, he would also go on to make films direct. Editors do deserve more love. Absolutely. The Body Snatcher. Oh. Oh, he directed the film adaptation of The Sound of Music <laughs> and West Side Story. Shit. Wow. Oh, damn. And I've Star Trek The Motion Picture? The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Star Trek The Motion Picture, The Hindenburg. Yeah. Good for him. Good for um, him. Yeah. And then also Bernard Herrmann, who wrote the score for Citizen Kane. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely, this is not really, like, a score-heavy movie. I think it definitely, like, works to set the scene. Um, yeah. It kind of works as a function of the story mm-hmm. rather than, like, you know, some of the more bombastic scores, you know. I'm thinking, like, yeah, uh, you know, oh, my goodness, I'm... Tron. <laughs> I'm... Yeah, I don't think there's any points where I really, like, the score really stood out to me though that's something that i don't i would say that like i don't it definitely supported it but like there's nothing that you know stood out to me that i was like wow that moment with the music you know like like you we were with the lighting no john williams camera work right i was thinking i was drawing a blank i was trying to think of christopher nolan's guy hans zimmer (laughs) as someone (laughs) where like the score really like draws attention to itself you know Mm. he Hans Zimmer popularized the womp, womp, you know, <laughs> the, the Inception womp. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I really like this. And then Herman has <laughs> composed the score for Psycho, North by Northwest, Vertigo, uh, The oh Day of the Earth and Still, Fahrenheit 451, Cape Fear, and Taxi Driver. Cape Fear? Yeah. Yep, and he also did a bunch of TV. So, like I said, I mean, these are... The original. I want to point out that it's the 1962 original Cape Fear with Gregory Peck, um, right. not the Scorsese remake. Although with De Niro, wanna... right? Yep. Although Scorsese remake with De Niro, that might that might be an underrated. Keep that in the back pocket. That's a good movie. Speaking of, what the... 
we'll have to compare and contrast with that one. It's super impressive that a lot of the main people that worked on this, this seemed to be one of like their first major hits yeah. like this. Like, this is Orson Welles' first full movie. 20 right? fucking 4. Yep, this is his first directorial effort, as far as yeah. I know. Like, my god. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you start with? Like, right? Where do you go when you're at the top? <laughs> yeah. You become Unicron in Transformers. Which I, which I think is something uh, uh, we should talk about, is kind of how that perception of it was, because, uh, like, like I said, he wasn't necessarily at the top when it first came out. Um, from what I was reading, at least, it sounded like in most cities, they didn't do very well. And it seems like a lot of this has to do with uh, William Randolph Hearst's efforts to, like, intimidate theaters into not showing this movie and refuse to let it even be mentioned in any of his newspapers and just constantly trying to threat, straight up threaten and intimidate people out of allowing this movie to come out. Um, uh, which I think if, if, if it wasn't for him, I feel like it would have been a bigger deal when it came out um, because it, like what I was seeing, it seems like most critics that saw the movie saw it for what it ended up being is this like amazing piece of art or this amazing like revolutionary piece of art um but a, a lot of people didn't see it like I, I read something that in orson wells in one of the city in chicago i believe uh the premiere in chicago was nearly empty. that's the that's the power of what the old newspaper was like before internet yeah yeah it's like, wild people like, like either we on do not mouth have a frame of reference and... for that nowadays yeah, which I I think is also interesting is that this movie is about about Citizen Kane and the guy it's based off of, uh, like kind of lives up to this lives up to the story, right? Like he yeah. literally used his immense power to nearly bury this film criticizing him, uh, which seems very uh like kind of just proves the whole movie true, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's kind of a meta element there. Yeah, I agree. yeah, the, exactly. the, the fact that like. Hearst was like, get this movie banned, and like, it's just, yeah, like, oh wow, this art imitates life, I guess. Yeah, uh, exactly. yeah This is, so, you asked Brad, Danny, is this movie overrated? Uh, pro- probably not, I, th- I think it is, uh, it definitely is a very impressive film. Obviously, it's, like like I said from the beginning, it's, it's cultural and historical But I'm gonna have to take, it is have to have you ha- like, take a hotter take on that, not... Probably not. Alright, so this movie is shit. Uh, I've never seen <laughs> Yes or no, worse. bud. Orson we're not Wells making a hack. podcast for... I, probably Orson not. Orson Welles? More like Orson Bad. <laughs> we're not making a podcast that? for... Mm, probably not. <laughs> we'll take a stand, <laughs> bud. Don't worry, we got cats coming up next, alright? We got cats coming up next. Even my mom will stop... Will hate me after that one. Uh... Um, Don't worry, but, William Randolph Hearst is going to hate you now. <laughs> yeah, I know. The ghost of Hearst is going to come on our podcast and be like, this I, movie blows. I did see that, I was also reading that in 2012, the Hearst estate uh, agreed to allow the movie to be shown at one of his castles or something. Uh, that Thus ending the ban that he had on the movie. Um, in, in 2012, you said? Yeah, like 2012, yeah. A 70-year ban. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They agreed to allow it to 
he showed at like one of his castles or some shit. And then he rolled in um, his fucking grave. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. But also, we saw the movie. Fuck yeah. that guy. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I think it, like, uh, obviously it's cultural and historical significance. It can't be underrated. Um, but I think that's, is the interesting thing is, yeah, I think this movie stands up. Like, if you were, I, I don't know if I'd recommend this to just anyone. Uh, certainly any film buff that like cer- certainly any film buff that's in artsy films like yeah i think this is a uh probably is a must see based on it, it's it is a legitimately good movie and it's historical significance yeah like a, to any it's a touchstone buff. even yeah absolutely but yeah it, and i think anyone that's just interested in uh something that's just like a good story uh, someone that's not necessarily looking for action is fine for that black and white. Yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend this. this. Is a great. It is a legitimately good story. I don't think it is overrated. I think, I think it is. Its significance definitely helps it get there, and it, it has a good movie to actually. Definitely putting it. Fun. Vaughn, you you change your did this change your I'll opinion? Tell you what my opinion is. <laughs> Citizen Kane <laughs> is okay in my book. It's oh okay. yay! <laughs> I'm glad hammer. that you know Orson Welles finally got on your good side. <laughs> you finally allowed uh, him to, you know. He can now. To be fair, right. he's always been on my good side because I love the original War of the Worlds broadcast, and he is my favorite Transformer. <laughs> what a career! <laughs> what a career! He did War of the Worlds and then Transformers, <laughs> and uh, he made a movie in the middle. <laughs> Uh, I will say a little tidbit about myself real quick while I, I'm talking. I used to mix up Orson Welles and H.G. Wells. That's that's, that's totally understandable, understandable, actually. Like, I, I get up. that, yeah. Especially because yeah. of War of the Worlds. Right, yeah. That's totally fair. Uh, I'm Beck, coming in think? with a hot take. Oh, oh shit. Um, because in cinematography and in editing... And in all of that, I would say that it is definitely, it lives up to it. But I mm-hmm. would say in, um, you know, the the English major part of me, the, the part mm-hmm. that looks into the backgrounds and, you know, the setting and everything and looks for the metaphor and the meaning in everything that mm-hmm. we did, it mm-hmm. didn't really live up to it. I'd agree. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I think the, I think the ending is kind of... There Not were a bad, lot of yeah, I don't know if the twist lives up to the hype. Of the yeah, there there were a lot of little, you know, little tidbits that you know there were things that just dropped off. They said earlier in the movie when they were kind of just giving an overview of his life and you know when he first died and they were giving you know the the reporters overview. They spoke about his first wife and how she died in a car crash with his son. And we never they see never him respond it. to that. We never see anything about it. The last time we see his son is leaving the election or, you know, in a oh, taxi. Man, right. I forgot he had and they son. never, ever even talk about him again. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you can see the wife, but the son. His wife leaves after the end of this, and they never talk about her again. And, like, it's more on the son, especially, because mm-hmm. this entire thing is about, you know, getting back his youth, you'd think that his son and his youth would have more to do with it. Yeah, that's a good point. And it absolutely doesn't. And when I said about the snow globe, also, I feel like that was kind of a loose end. That, Like, if that was a metaphor, I think that it 
wasn't a great one. Yeah, like if we're coming it was, down, it was to, a weak I think one. it's just snow. That's not that's not that interesting. <laughs> Better metaphors are cigarettes. That's a really weird reference. Uh, but if I may come to the uh, <laughs> defense of the movie on the the kid thing, I don't know if if how comfortable audiences would have been with a child death scene, like the morning of a child death. Scene. I absolutely do not. Yeah, they should have had a mention of it of more. I feel like they're like. I guess that's a good they should have point. Either that it, or like, keep I, the kid in the movie. <laughs> I feel. I mean, you can't just or not don't kill have him, like, him have <laughs> a kid. Yeah, why have him there just to kill him off later? And he didn't Whoa. add anything to it. What was the point? Speaking like, of I, I get that. Just to be, you know, in just to be 1941, you can't have a 30 year old that doesn't have kids, but also. Do something with him or don't have him in there. And and a lot of things were like that, where it was like, ooh, cool shot, what does it mean? You know? In my opinion, I think that, you know, from my perspective, everything should be working towards his story. And the, the fact that they, you know, they had all of these really interesting, groundbreaking things with the cinematography, but it didn't mean anything. You know, it had these amazing sweeping crane, you know, shots, but what does that have to do with anything? The only thing that they did that actually meant anything with the cinematography is how they shot Orson Welles to be larger than everybody else. And that's about it. He big boy. Right, what do you think about that? I mean... Well, I think that's a good point um, about the wife and the son. Um, I'll be honest, I guess I hadn't really thought about it um, because they're so, they're presented in such like a perfunctory way. Um, Yeah. Because it's like his first wife is just so irrelevant to like the bulk of the story because, you know, basically the entire second half of the movie. They still have a little bit with her. Yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah. It kind of has, you know, him starting in love and then being more and more de- dedicated to his work and less and less dedicated to her. She does have some amount of relevancy. But True. Yeah. No payoff. But no payoff. But yeah, I would just say I would my only disagreement would be that I don't think I think I don't take it as much of a hit to the movie as you sound like That's fair. And that's just kind of, like, that's who I am, is I'm more, yeah, I'm a big story and metaphor and, you know, thematic person. It's almost as if this podcast is supposed to be us talking about our opinions. Fuck that. Well, um... That's wrong. (laughs) My, our our, our listeners will agree. Your mom? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And if not, she doesn't get to see the grandson, so I don't, so I think I'm safe. Yeah, I don't think that there's going uh, so, to be many people who agree with me, but I've got my take. No, I, I, no, I think it's I, a good point. I, I, I think you're definitely. Right. I don't know I if like I if I'm like fully on board with you, but I do definitely believe what you're saying. I don't think you're lying. <laughs> we did watch. Becca, I think you're lying. 
That, that, how dare you lie about Citizen Kane, the greatest movie ever made. It's in the 45 greatest movies of all time, according to the Vatican. <laughs> Maybe that's what our movie list should be, just going down that list. I'd be down for that. Man, Detective Pikachu better be on there. there. I was, so I was looking at a list, a, a list of facts, and it said, ranked number two of greatest movies of all time. I'm like, all right, what's number one? And it didn't say. I'm like, what's number one? Oh, what? <laughs> I, apparently, the BBC is rated like the greatest American film of all time, like five years in a row or something. Yeah, five years in a row. And the Tenet came out, and you know. Well, yeah, great. So it seems like we've decided most Citizen are not Kane overrated. is rated. Uh, I think we need a good. We need a big like uh like like. Mythbuster, uh, rated. Like, I was thinking like a gong or sizzle. something like that. Bong, Ooh, good, yeah. Three out of four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, The Godfather is number one on that list. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The, the top ten are Godfather, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, Chinatown, Raging Bull, La Dolce Vita, The Godfather Part 2, God of the Wind, Some Like a Hot, and Singing in the Rain. I go. Godfather 1 and 2 are on that list. Yeah, I mean, Why? well, Godfather 2 is like the greatest sequel in movie history. You gotta have Why both, and the then Vatican Godfather 3 is like... Takes? Oh. I have to... What's, that's entertainment. I didn't check Vatican. Oh. I was gonna say, this list isn't the Vatican. Yeah, no, that was entertainment. Uh, Vatican's list of films. Citizen Kane. Uh, oh, it's under... So they have three sections. Religion, values, and art. Citizen Kane is number one in art. Okay. They also have Fantasia, Nosferatu, Stagecoach, <laughs> uh, Wizard of Oz, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Hell yeah. Metropolis. That's a phenomenal movie. Uh, we stay in it. Know. On the Waterfront. Great movie. It's a Wonderful Life. Man, 1982's Gandhi. Schindler's List. The Pope just dropping gems, huh? <laughs> ben Hur firing off takes on Twitter. Let's see if we can get him on. Let's see if we can get Honestly, him on. He, we'll have to he learn seems like a great guy. Roman or whatever he speaks. Yeah, yeah pretty good movie case. Like if I were to assemble, like if somebody tasked me with assembling a list of like the ten greatest movies ever made, mine would probably be pretty close to that. Honestly, all like, Catholics have the Pope's number, and all all evangelical Christians have Kurt Cameron's number. Yeah, I mean. Like and he speaks directly to God, Confirmed. right? So like God love God loves Citizen Kane. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh uh I have two more before I forget, I I have two other facts I wanted to share. Before we end this, because we've with this part alone has been like half an hour. <laughs> I, yep. I mean sorry, an hour. I have two last facts You've I wanted to say. Your work ahead of you with editing, but yeah. Oh, I love editing. It's cool. Yeah, good luck getting Ezra out of all um, Spielberg actually bought... There were three rosebuds. Two of them were burned for the scene, but the third one was actually bought by Spielberg for $60,000 and $60,500. I feel like that's, that's yeah, not that's that much. definitely a steal. By like to have Spielberg rosebud time? from Citizen yeah. Kane? Yeah, that like, I'd pay that. Like, that's Also, crazy. in like 2007, <laughs> a... Orson Welles' personal copy of the script was sold for like 70000 Wow. I think it was... Um, also, 
The reason why I pointed this out while watching Orson Welles was actually the last name in the credits. Yeah. Was because he, he wanted to save the best for last. <laughs> oh, what, what a guy. What a, all right. I mean, <laughs> what a jackass. But I mean, I guess he is. But I mean, he gave, but he also wanted, like, that's why everyone had, all the, like, the newcomers had, like, their own solo credit, like, with footage mm, of them. Because he point. wanted to, like, represent these people. He's like, he like, look at these phenomenal actors in my phenomenal film. I thought it was going to be, he was the last one because all the credits were him. So like, he's, uh, he's actually, in the beginning, uh, in the beginning, where there's the title card uh, with his name and, like, the, with Tolan's name, if I remember correctly, uh, it was unprecedented of having the director and the cinematographer on the same title card, but he wanted, like, to show that the cast and crew had equal rights in this movie. Hell yeah. So, like, he was an egotistical asshole, but he cared about his crew. Except that dirty mank who tried stealing all the credit. (laughs) (laughs) All right, look. (laughs) (laughs) I now know what my laugh looks like on an audio uh, file. Because every time I laugh, it looks the exact same. (laughs) I keep on trying to make, like, swords with my voice. I'm not looking at the audio file because I don't want to. Um, I feel like I'd be distracted. Yeah, it kind of is. uh, The only thoughts I have left are um, I really enjoyed this movie and I'm glad that we sat down together to to watch this movie. I'm even happier that I got sat down with three of my best friends and watched it. Gay. Yeah. Um, And I will say that even though I was the one that, you know, the token overrated, I did enjoy watching the movie. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very good. Yeah. Just because the movie's overrated doesn't mean it's bad. Yep. We're not rating if the movie's bad or good. We're just saying if. Yeah, it it definitely. That's not our job. Go to some other. It definitely has a crazy high rating, so like. Yeah. Thanks for watching (laughs) us, Miss Arage. Uh, yeah, thanks Thanks for watching, Mom. Uh, no, she's not watching, she is listening. Uh, we always appreciate it. Please. Audio medium. Uh, yeah. Thanks for... <laughs> I'm getting ready for TV, all right? <laughs> I'm moving on from this already. And next episode is live. Oh, God. Uh, I, make sure you... make Mom, make sure you rate and subscribe, I think. You follow it. Yeah. Make sure you rate it a well, five five and, stars uh, or whatever. ring that bell. You, in person, you can tell me what you actually think, and ring that bell. And make sure our podcast sure. is not overrated. <laughs> make sure our podcast is not over. Well, no, overrate our podcast. Uh, in person, you can tell me the actual rating. Don't underrate in the us. rating. Don't <laughs> yeah. Uh, come back next time uh, where we're gonna do. Uh, we're actually gonna do cats, guys. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> uh, see, I thought we were just gonna end every podcast with just uh, a fake movie. That'd be pretty good. Uh, yeah, no. Next time is gonna be cats. We're gonna get my hot. Yeah, birth of a nation is real. Uh, no, I mean like. Oh. Never mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, what the we're not covering birth of a nation. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for watching. Uh, I'm Vaughn. I am back. And there are two other people. <laughs> I'm Brad. I'm Dan. And this is the Over Under Hype Machine. We'll see you next time. Rated. Rated. <laughs>